Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast for a very special bonus episode. What you're about to hear is a live podcast recording we did back in May at BOA Technologies headquarters in Denver, Colorado. It was recorded after a screening of a new film premiering this weekend. The film is called 26.2 to Life, a documentary about the San Quentin Thousand Mile Club, a running group in San Quentin State Prison here in Northern California in a program that I was lucky to volunteer for for several years, including the years that the film was being shot. My guests on the panel are Western States Board President and Volunteer Coach Diana Fitzpatrick, former Thousand Mile Club member and many times over record holder Markel the Gazelle Taylor, and of course, the amazing filmmaker behind the project, Christine Yu. It is a really, really great conversation. Like I said, 26.2 to Life is premiering in select theaters around the country this weekend. I put a list of the various theaters in the show notes of the episode, but probably more practically to most of you, the film is also having a 72-hour virtual premiere tomorrow through Monday, so just through the weekend, September 29th through October 2nd. It would mean a lot to me to have free trailers support the film by attending either in person or by buying tickets to the virtual event and streaming it from the comforts of home. There is also a link in the show notes to where you can buy virtual tickets. Honestly, this film is deeply and personally really important to me. I've seen it five times and I have cried every single time. The group of men featured in the film have each served at least a decade in prison. They are my friends and their stories are deeply impactful. It's a beautiful example of the transformative power of the great sport of running. I know you all will love the film and I thank you in advance for supporting the premiere. Thanks also to BOA for their hospitality and hosting this screening and this live podcast. It was a really special night and I was deeply grateful to them for opening their doors. Speaking of BOA, make sure you check out the new collab podcast Free Trail is doing with their resident PhD physiologist, Mr. Dan Feeney. The show is called The Science of Performance, and you can find it on all major podcasting platforms. Episode two went up yesterday. It's another fascinating conversation. This time, Dan welcomes Eric Honert and Emily Matevich, two PhDs from Vanderbilt, who talk about biomechanics, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and engineering behind footwear and wearable technology devices. It's seriously a mind blower of a show. You're guaranteed to learn something new. Search the science of performance in your favorite pod player and smash the subscribe button. Finally, we're going commercial free on this episode, but please make sure you check out our sponsors. We are proud to work with Speedland, Rourke, HVMN and Gnarly Nutrition, amazing brands with amazing products. So go to the show notes, click through for links and discount codes available to Free Trail listeners. Thanks so much for being here. Have an amazing weekend. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. How about that, everybody? Pretty amazing film, right? Thanks for sticking around. I know it's 8 p.m. in a room full of runners, and uh, so it's beyond everybody's bedtime here, myself included. So I promise it's going to be worth it, and we'll try and keep the energy high. And I guess in that spirit, I'll announce the winners of the raffle. Uh, A couple pairs of these GS Tam shoes here displayed next to our panelists. First winner is Marcus Archuleta. 
Marcus, are you here? All right, Marcus. You can, you can stay in your seat. We'll get you your shoes after the fact. I think Brenna will find you and get your size. The second winner is Angelina Palmero. All right. Okay. So with that out of the way, we have a, a really amazing panel here. My name is Dylan Bowman. I'm one of the founders of Free Trail. We're a media and events company in the sport of running. We've had the pleasure of working with BOA in a couple capacities, both with Free Trail, they've been great supporters of ours, and also with Speedland, the shoe brand that I am an athlete and partner in. And this is our beautiful shoe here displayed on stage. So I just wanted to, before we get started, say a huge thank you to BOA for opening the doors to us tonight. You guys are great to work with. Appreciate the accommodation and the generosity and uh, connecting all these beautiful people with this wonderful story. Um, before I introduce the guests, um, well, I guess let's just go ahead and do that now because uh, they're going to have a lot of important things to say. So just to my left here, this is one of the community volunteer coaches, Diana Fitzpatrick, who you saw in the film. Diana is actually the person who got me connected in, with the club many years ago. And for the trail runners in the room, she is also the president of the board of the Western States 100. So Diana Fitzpatrick is a big deal. Of course, in the center, we have the star of the show, the one and only, the man who rewrote the record books for the San Quentin Thousand Mile Club, Markel the Gazelle Taylor. And last but not least, of course, the director and producer of the film, an amazing artist and filmmaker, the great Christine Yu. So we're gonna do our best to just kind of pass the mic around and get a lot of great contributions from each of them. We'll probably go for 40, 45 minutes and I'd love to leave some time at the end for you all to ask any questions that you have after watching the film. Markel, I want to start with you, obviously. Christine, if you don't mind handing him the mic. We were just chatting during intermission. I said that was like the fourth or fifth time I've watched the film, and still it's just like makes me emotional every time, and you said the exact same thing. So maybe let's start there. We were just talking also this afternoon about how it's been about four years since you were released. We all saw that footage you've seen the film now probably a dozen times and you said it is it's hard for you to watch still too and it's part of your therapy so reflect on the journey the last four years and what it's like to watch the film again testing <laughs> wow that was pretty tough um, i feel like i'm in a spelling bee <laughs> um uh, first of all thank you guys for allowing me to be here i feel extremely um, grateful and blessed and honored. Thank you, Denver. Um, it's been a big journey. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, it's been extremely beautiful. I've been blessed to um, have these incredible people to be around and be friends with and, and enjoy uh, having company with uh, through the years. 
it's been a tough journal journey for as far as the board. I mean, as far as being on parole, but I'm off now one year. Uh, since March 2nd of this year, it's been four years. Um, so it's been four and some change and uh, one year off parole um, since right before Boston Marathon. Mm. But uh, so the question about the movie, uh, yeah, it's always uh, emotional for me. Uh, I have to reflect and relive those moments and it brings back uh, feelings and emotions and all of these things, but thank God uh, through my San Quentin prison experience, I know how to process and filter that stuff out, take the good with the bad and actually grow and learn from those experiences and reliving that moment. Uh, it's a lot of therapy work for me, so it's, uh, it's therapeutic, just like running for me, and that's what I get out of it. Thank you. Christine, before we get too far down the road, I'd love for you to just explain where the inspiration came for the film. Like, how did you learn about the Thousand Mile Club and the mar marathon that you guys just saw? That's from 2018, so this has been... 17. That was from 20, yeah. 2017. It's been a, it's five been and a half years ago, that marathon was. So this project has taken the better part of a decade of your life. Talk about where the original inspiration came from and what it's like to now finally get it out in the world. Um, it was June of 2016. It was on a Sunday morning and I was, like any other Sunday, I'm scrolling through my Apple news feed on my iPhone and uh, I see this headline. It was from GQ magazine, Inside the San Quentin Prison Marathon. I immediately clicked on that, and um, it was just one of those moments in life when, by the end of the article, I knew that it was going to be my next movie. I had done a film before. It was a narrative film. Uh, in a lot of ways, the complete opposite of 26.2. It was a Korean-American romantic comedy. Um, and I... New, I, I'm not a marathoner, but I jog and run, I guess, in my, you know, for exercise. So I had experienced runners high, so I could see how running would be beneficial to people in prison. Uh, that coupled with the fact that um, it was in about 2001, I also had a friend who was uh, falsely accused and wrongfully convicted and sentenced to life in California State Prison. Uh, he was also a fellow Korean-American, and that deeply impacted my life. So I felt like this person could have been my brother, really. So that having that sort of emotional knowledge, I guess, coupled with what I thought could be a visually really interesting and the marathon being a metaphor for how one might approach living life in prison, um, those were the inspirations. So what's it like now getting the film out there? Just to brag a little bit, the film just won the Audience Award at the Santa Barbara Film Festival, which is a huge deal. And I think this is, I think we counted that this is the ninth showing, and it must be pretty surreal after nearly a decade of working on it, or I guess, what, seven or eight years of working on it to now have it in the world. 
what are your feelings like about that? It, I mean, the, to me, the Thousand Mile Club has been a gift, huge gift in my life. Um, so just the process of making it, I actually loved every minute of it, even though it was very difficult. Um, but now that it's actually finally finished and having the opportunity to share it with people is has been truly a gift. And thank you, Denver, uh, for this opportunity and this moment that we're sharing together. So uh, much gratitude to, to Boa and to Dylan for, for arranging this this evening. Let's get to Diana now. Diana, again, you are the one who connected me with the club. And I think for all of us coaches, it's been life-changing. It's been an amazing journey. I, I don't even know how you originally got connected with the club, and I think this is maybe a good opportunity to talk about Frank a little bit. So maybe talk about how you got connected with the club and your relationship with Frank and his character. Okay, well, um, yeah, thank you everybody for being here. Um, and uh, uh, I originally got involved with the club through, I was friends with Frank. And actually, it's kind of a funny story, even the way Frank got involved, because he ended up being such a crucial piece of what the club ultimately became. Um, it was really shaped so much by who Frank is as a person. Uh, but there was a, the volunteer coordinator at San Quentin had actually reached out to the local running club in Marin County, the Tamalpas, and asked, and Frank was president of the club at the time, and asked if anyone, if he would post and see if anyone would be interested in coming in and facilitating a running club at, at San Quentin. So he posted it, and no one expressed interest, kept posting it, no one, no one, and he's finally like, okay, well, I guess I'll give it a try. So that's how Frank got started on it. It was uh, really just kind of happenstance. Um, and uh, then he really ended up creating something that um, is a lot uh, a reflection of him um, and uh, he is a very um, uh, he is so non-judgmental he's so uh, reliable he is so uh, present and he is so open to people and, and meeting them where they are. And that's kind of who Frank is. Uh, so he ended up being the person who led the other coaches just by example. Um, I started probably over 10 years ago in 2018 or 19. I was one of the first coaches with him. And um, uh, I got involved just because I was friends with Frank, I commuted to the East Bay every day and drove right by San Quentin and was always a little intrigued thinking, gosh, you know, there are all these people that actually live in there and what, what is that like? What does that look like? Um, and then when the opportunity to, to came up through Frank to get involved, um, I did. And it has been life-changing and in a way watching the movie tonight with people, I think, um, for me, it was really exactly what the film is. It's getting to know people and see stories and learn who they are. And, um, and again, often we didn't find out why they were there, you know, but you get to know them as people. And running is both, and then also, running is both just a great community thing because it brings people together, um, but it's also really powerful as a tool to give people that purpose and structure and framework and confidence and self-esteem and you we 
just saw that, and as coaches, it was incredibly rewarding. I want to talk more about community and stuff in a sec, but Markel or Christine, if you want to add anything about Frank and your guys' relationship, or what about him makes the club exist, and what about him is special? Frank is everything. <laughs> Frank is probably the most, you know, genuine person that I've ever met. Um, this is a person who does not care about what other people are thinking. He ha he is a man on a mission um, who just loves everything about running. I mean, his whole life has been shaped by running. When and that was actually kind of one of the things I was sad about as a filmmaker not being able to include some of these details about Frank in the film. But for example, he opened his closet one day and he has a stack of journals that he's been keeping of his running diary probably since the 1970s. You know, single line journal entries every day. And this is a man who is one of the most consistent people I think that I've ever met. And, you know, despite all of his running pedigree, it's his consistency. The fact that this man shows up, rain, sleet, you know, uh, sometimes... From what I understand, he might have been one of the only people there sometimes showing up for the club. And I think that it was his consistency over time that really won the guys over. Because as I understand in the very beginning of the club, uh, the person that uh, had contacted him was very skeptical actually about Frank and his ability maybe to connect with the guys and to, you know, is this guy who's about, as she described it, this big around, who's very mild-mannered, is he going to fly with, connect with guys in prison? Uh, she wasn't so sure. But I think that the guys, when he walks onto that yard, he's got so much respect. Um, and you actually told me once that, a lot of times, like, the OGs who may have, like, beef with each other, when Frank shows up, like, it all goes away because they've got that much respect for him. Do you want to add anything about Frank? I mean, because you guys have had a really special relationship. He always counted your laps during the races. You know, he helped you get a job once you were released. You guys are still close now that you're a free man. You want to say anything about Frank? Frank is Pops. I call him Pops. Yeah, yeah, so Frank, uh, everything they said is true about Frank. Uh, he's a loving, caring guy. Uh, I don't think he would have had any problem about being in prison because he was in the military. Anybody in the Army in the military uh, is not for the prison because war, right? Military. Uh, that's the toughest you can get besides being in prison. So uh, I think he was, he was fit for the job, built for the job. Um, I'm glad he accepted it because nobody else would accept it. Um, and he did, and then, like, look at what happened because of what he did and not giving up on us. And to me, I think that's more valuable than anything in the world, um, that someone cared enough about being in there with us and spending time with us, and we're supposed to be the scum of the earth, right? And he didn't feel that way about us. And by him not feeling that way about us gave us the confidence and the courage to continue to be successful in anything we did. And um, running was the catalyst of helping us achieve those uh, heights and goals. And um, 
in everything we do. He helped us build the confidence that we needed, the self-esteem that we needed, and uh, we was able to complete marathons, run marathons in prison. I was able to parole uh, because of Frank and the support of the other uh, volunteer coaches helping me to be able to speak on inside of my crime, being able to be more open. Uh, you know, all of this stuff helped. The groups helped. The running helped. Everything combined helped. And, uh, yeah, Frank is a very beautiful person, a great spirit. Uh, I call him Pops. Pops. Since you have the mic, I'd love for you to just kind of describe how your relationship with time changes when you're given a life sentence. And I think it's Rasan in the film who makes the metaphor. It's like running a marathon, right? You can't think about mile 25, right, when you're at the beginning. And I think when you're given, when you have to think about your life and your sentence in terms of decades, how does that shape the way you approach your day-to-day life? Well, first of all, like they said about lifers, recidivism um, with lifers compared to people that just doing time, um, it's different. The mind frame, the mindset. I think if I had a sentence like six years, 85% or six years would have, those are all like sentences that were given to people incarcerated. I probably wouldn't be here before you guys today, but having a life sentence and that changes your whole mindset on how you have to live your life. And then for one, you have to survive prison. And then to be in there for the rest of your life, it's like, okay, uh, I'm either going to live or die in here. So I got to make something of it. And I, because of the coaches and the self-help groups and different people, before I even got my sentence, told me like, look, hey, um, there are certain things you can and cannot do or you'll be destroyed, you'll be eaten alive. And it's a doggy dog system in there, and it's either it's the survival of the fittest. I mean, it's I mean that's that's another story in itself. I don't even have time for that. That's <laughs> but um, to make a long story short, um, you have to adjust your way of thinking. It's survival mode, um, and so I wanted to have another chance of freedom. At first, I kind of gave up because I thought it was over. I'm here for life, but then. Uh, it started to change once I started to understand where a lot of this stuff come from. Childhood trauma, intergenerational trauma triggers, what is uh, anger, what is violence, how did this stuff comes up, and uh, I am not my life crime, and uh, you know, all of these different things I learned that I like help other people to understand, to help them to cope, because believe it or not, there's people that's free that's in prison in their minds. And I was already free five years before getting out because once I got it, I got it. And even if I would have stayed the rest of my life in prison, I was already free. So it was a mindset. Christine, I think one of the most remarkable parts of the film comes at the very end with the statistic that of the alumni of the, the San Quentin Thousand Mile Club, there's been zero recidivism. Can you talk about that and how it compares to the average as a way of showing kind of the power of this group in particular? Yeah, the national average for recidivism is 
So compared with zero, uh, that's a big difference. Um, one of the things that all, pretty much across the board all the guys would tell me is, you know, being able to maybe, I mean, because a lot of the guys were not, unlike Markel, a lot of the guys were not runners, did not necessarily have experience with running before they joined the club. So they said, you know, running that first five miles or running that first 10 miles, that suddenly that gave them confidence that they did not have before. That confidence would set off a chain reaction of other positive activities. So suddenly, because they've done this 10 miles, now suddenly they can think about getting their GED for the first time. Now they can reconnect with family members. Now they can envision their lives in a different way. So um, while we're not going to say necessarily that running can change the prison system, you know, we all know that I'm sure there's a lot of runners in here that running does change everything for people who do it. And people in prison obviously are no different. Diana, San Quentin kind of has this reputation of being a big, scary prison. I think it has some dark parts of its history, but it really is a pretty magical place in a lot of ways, especially compared to the standard in, the, in North America. Can you say a few words about what makes San Quentin special and different and the things that are evolving now that Governor Newsom just announced? Well, it is a place that has really changed over time. Um, it still had the death row until very recently. Um, and I think people associated San Quentin with that. And, um, and it's an old facility, so it's, it can be kind of scary looking and uh, intimidating when you walk in. Uh, but in fact, it's a prison that has had, um, has, has in recent years had so many programs um, and volunteers going in um, and opportunities for different types of programs. Uh, and that has, um, I mean, that's a lot because of its location in the Bay Area. So there is uh, a big population of people who can go in and um, there are uh, different groups from the Stanford Tennis Club to uh, professors from different universities around the Bay Area and then people who live in the Bay Area who go in and help. Um, and now, uh, actually, Newsom has just announced that it's going to be, it's renamed. Um, it's now the San Quentin Rehabilitative Center. And um, it is going to be a model of a new type of prison that is more based on rehabilitation. It has funding for more programming. And um, I mean, I think this is a great thing. I think in a way, it's really taking something that already existed in some ways and trying to make that a model and uh, promote it as a different way of looking at what you can do with prisons. So maybe talking about reformation in the film, I think it's Tone Evans who's talking about how Tommy Wickard has a swastika tattooed on his body. Tommy also lost 60 pounds while we were all shooting this film. And you say something about how, you know, you'd be comfortable having everybody in your living room, which I think is the whole point of the film and perhaps maybe counterintuitive to people who see, you know, people who have been in prison for life sentences and for decades. Can you talk more about just like the Reformation and just like 
you know, seeing that firsthand? Yeah, I mean, I think the, like I said, the film, it does such a good job of showing that these are real people. They have dreams and sense of humor and flaws, just like everybody. And, um, and actually, like I said in the film, it's not really a story about innocence or um, it's really more a story about people who ended up there and at the beginning, like in the frank mode, it really never mattered to me why people were there. Uh, it was really more uh, getting to know the people they were now and who they were trying to become. And the people who are out there at the club and it, trying to work on themselves and improve themselves, um, you know, to me that was so impressive, even just thinking about, gosh, if I was faced with a life sentence, you know, what would I choose to do with that time? Um, so just to see that they got up and they made goals and then they made a goal to run a marathon and really challenge themselves in so many ways. Um, it was really inspiring and like it has been a life-changing thing for I think everyone who has been part of it uh, as a coach or um, you know, being able to be part of that community. Now, a lot of the guys in the film, I mean, I was trying to even start to count, are, are outside. And I mean, a lot of them have been in my living room, which is, you know, a great thing. And um, that community and support continues on the outside. And it is such a two-way street. I mean, what Markel brings to um, our community in Marin through, I mean, he has a lot of different communities and people that he touches and lives he touches. Um, with me, it's uh, through running and a, a, a group of my closest friends who now Markel has um, become friends with independently. And uh, so that just continues um, what the two-way street of how this works. Christine, maybe back to you. One of my favorite lines from the film is Rasan, who, of course, has a gift with words, and he says something about how, even though he's incarcerated, he had a realization that his voice was free. And for those who don't know, Rasan was the, one of the founding hosts of the Ear Hustle podcast, which, of course, is world famous, and he's a highly accomplished person. He was just released maybe four or five yeah. weeks ago. So... I'm sure he'll be at a future screening. Uh, but maybe if you want to talk about each of the main characters, I'd love to hear you just like, why why you settled on Markel, Tommy, and Rasan? Because I think for those of us who volunteer, it's kind of obvious. And maybe after watching the film, it's obvious. But I'd love to hear, as the filmmaker, what drew you to those individuals? The casting. <laughs> uh, so... The first day I went inside the prison, it was August 2016 to observe the half marathon. And so Frank had brought me in and he said, oh, you gotta meet this person, you gotta meet this person, you gotta meet this person. Um, Markel, I met, was one of the very first people that I met on that first day. Um, he, he didn't really necessarily wanna talk to me, actually. He was very shy. Uh, but I knew that because he was the gazelle and he was the fastest runner in the club that de facto he would have to be one of the main characters in the film. But what was surprising to me was uh, how open he was. Um, 
the day that we shot in the cells uh, was a particularly difficult day because I knew that I was going to be asking everybody what their crimes were. Um, you know, the coaches have a policy of not asking people what their crimes were, but as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, I felt like, you know, what brought these guys to the starting line at San Quentin was very important to show what kind of change that these men had made. Um, so Markel was actually the last person that day that we were filming, and he, it was after he got off of work, and it was a little bit late, and we had to be out of the prison, I think, when the interview started, maybe in like 20 minutes. So in the morning, I had had the opportunity to speak with Tommy and Rasan and build up to that conversation. You know, we had plenty of time to ramp up to, you know, what did you guys do, <laughs> essentially, to what brought you here. With Markel, I, I remember at the very beginning, I actually kind of apologized to him because I said, look, you know, man, I, I'm going to have to start with the really tough questions first. We only have about 20 minutes and I really did not have um, so much of an idea of what uh, the circumstances of what brought him into, into prison. Um, and much to his credit, he did not shy away from the discussion whatsoever. And it was sort of in that moment, I was just really struck by his emotional intelligence and um, you know what a gift uh, he he brought actually to the film, so I'm indebted to him for that. Um, and then Rasan, I also met on the first day that we were there. And when I first met him, I mean, he just made me laugh. You know, the guy has an amazing sense of humor, um, and it took it, it and it really jarred me because. Going into prison, you sort of assume that everybody's going to be in a bad mood and sad and depressed all the time, <laughs> or that was my impression, you know. Um, and even though I knew somebody in prison, um, and I guess that was sort of, I was disappointed in myself for actually thinking about people one-dimensionally. So, and I knew that as a writer, he would ha he had uh, his head sort of wrapped around uh, issues of incarceration, uh, and I'd done a lot of research about him. You can Google him, and he's done an, an array of essays that are just astounding and humorous, again. Uh, so I knew he's, that I had to get brilliant. him. He's brilliant. He's genuinely brilliant. Yeah, yeah he, he really is. And, um, and then I really didn't know who I was going to, who was going to be the third person in the film. Um, and then on one of my drives up, Kevin had connected me with Marion, Tommy's wife. And so I was like, oh, okay, you know, I'm gonna, gonna meet with her. I didn't, I thought that we would maybe have a 30 minute coffee or something like that. That meeting ended up being like five hours. Um, and I was like, wow, she is really willing to talk. And, um, just the perspective of a marriage and, um, of course, Tommy being a father and a husband from prison, I thought was, and that the fact that they were willing to, to, to speak with me. Uh, and then I find out that he's kind of like, the, was the most improved runner. So I felt like I had 
from a running perspective, you know, the fastest runner, the slowest runner, and then the most improved runner. I felt that that was a, a good trio, essentially. Yeah, it's such a good trio, <laughs> such a good trio. I affectionately call Rasan the Blur, which is a nickname he came up for for himself because he's so comically slow. So the Blur, Rasan, can't wait to see him. Markel, let's talk more about community. Um, one of the things that Tone Evans talks about in the film is just sort of like the racial segregation that happens in the prison, but the Thousand Mile Club, importantly, is like super diverse, multiracial, multi-ethnic. And I know you, all the members of the club and the coaches included, found a powerful community in that group. Can you talk a little bit about that community and what it meant to you? Well, just like the outside world with running communities, uh, I'm, well, it's, it's more tightly close-knit because it's in a place where you can't get on and go nowhere else. With that being said, this is still a family community of brothers. You know, it's a brotherhood. It's, it's our own little gang of people who love to run and train and practice together. And, uh, you know, we all have our own little things we do after we run and get together or we team up to run or we go to a race together. You know, we have our little duel. It's a little, it's a little competition there every now and then, but it's, it's nothing serious. It's, it's family, it's community, it's, it's a brotherhood. So the film shows you obviously being released. I'm sure that's a moment that defies language, but I'm sure the audience would love to hear you talk about that feeling after 18 years of incarceration and all the hard work, all the effort you put into doing the right thing, being sober and staying on the straight and narrow to finally get out. What did that feel like? Overwhelmingly beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. I'm still enjoying the moment. I'm riding this wave that seemed like, it seemed like every year I get out, it's just more spectacular, more amazing things are happening. It's like, wow, I can't believe it. Now I'm in Denver, like, <laughs> never could imagine this. Even before my incarceration, I was in my original pain, suffering, drinking, and just feeling like really low and having no self-esteem at all, like just, just feeling like nothing. And now I'm like getting up every day, looking forward to just helping people and talking to people. So it's like this right here is, even though that shakes me up to look at that, it's to relive that and just to help, you know, help me in my growth and my therapy. At the same time, I like to, you know, help people. Um, I've been doing that since I was a kid. So if I can share what I learned inside behind those walls, which is uh, to work on the inside out um, and put the running in there together with it is this antidote of success in life. So that's what I give people and that's what I try to share, just being a, you know, a testimony to that. Beautiful. Diana, the film ends as we see Markel gloriously cross the finish line at Boston. So. Maybe if you could say a few words about what it was like to witness Markel as a free man take on the world's most legendary foot race only six weeks after getting out of prison after an 18-year sentence. 
Yeah, that was quite a moment. And uh, I mean, it was a blur for Markel and for me, actually, that period when you got out, uh, it did seem like a lot was happening all at once. And um, he was out, then training for the marathon. It was the winter, it was raining. Uh, and then the, even arranging the trip to Boston was a big deal, special permission all the way up the chain in Sacramento to get him to be able to travel. Um, and Boston is intense to, uh, it, as a race, just the logistics of everything. Um, but seeing him cross the finish line was really just an amazing moment. Um, he had come a far way, and I'm a long ways, and I remember standing inside the yard at one of the uh, final workouts when Markel, before he, he was released, and talking about being at Boston, and somehow I still couldn't quite picture it or believe that it was going to happen. Um, and so, sure enough, it did, and it, it was a beautiful moment. Epic. Epic. Yeah, it was. For the for the director, it's like, oh, this is beautiful. I think you kind of delayed. You once you realized Markel was going to be getting out of prison and then going to race the Boston Marathon, I was like, all right, well, we're going to have to film that. That's going to have to be part of the movie. So here we are, five years later, and the film's finally coming out. Not only that, he ran an amazing race because yeah. Boston is not easy, and the circumstances of him getting out, the training leading up to it, and everything else. So I was like, uh. What is he going to be able to, you know, how much of a, I, I was sure he'd get a PR, but I wasn't sure about the sub three hour, and uh, he ran an incredible race. Chris, yes. Christine, back to you. The scene with Tommy, too, in the hotel room is immensely powerful. I don't know if you want to say a few words about that or any other particular moment from this filmmaking process that's been profoundly impactful on you? I'm sure everybody would love to hear. Yeah, the, the, when, actually the scene with Tommy too, I think that was the second day we were shooting. And the first day was when actually Marion came in for the family visit. Because uh, I was still working on getting permission to shoot inside the prison, because that took a long time. Um, but the second day we were, you know, in the hotel room and they were late actually. So we were like, okay, well, we let let's go bug them, you know, because they might not I don't I forgot exactly what the circumstances were, but we were like, okay, yeah, let's let's go inside the hotel room and, and figure out what's going on. And we really weren't planning to actually to film anything in there. We were just figuring out like, okay, well, are they gonna be coming out and how they're gonna be coming out? And I'm just sort of imagining these different shots. And then suddenly Tommy too uh, just really ex emotionally exploded. And we weren't planning to film, actually. <laughs> you know, so I was with my camera guy and I was like, okay, I hope you're rolling on this because this is, you know, we need to get this. And it was actually in that moment where I knew that we had, we had a movie and it was going to be something that I could not expect, actually. So. so now that you're getting the film out, what impact do you hope it has? And maybe in answering that, you could say a few words about the expansion of the Thousand Mile Club model and all the work you're doing with that. 
Um, it has really just been unexpected, the reception that we've been getting. Um, and when we first started, uh, Kevin, who's one of the coaches, uh, had mentioned to me that one of his dreams was that he was hoping that with the film that the club could expand. Uh, and for example, the club in Washington, you know, was, was also a result of that. And he was hoping that with the film that it could, the word could get out. Um, and the word seems to be getting out. We are being contacted by different prisons. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure actually how they're finding out about us, honestly. Uh, but word seems to be getting out. We're being contacted uh, to, to screen the film. Uh, there are places in uh, like North Dakota, for example, uh, there was a judge that started a running club. And in that state, there's a lot, most of the people are in prison because of drug-related offenses. So the running club that does exist at one of the prisons, um, they've been finding that they've been having very good results with people who are getting out, you know, very low recidivism rates. So we had a Zoom meeting recently with what seemed to be the entire state of North Dakota or something, uh, and about nine people from the Department of Corrections, and they were basically very anxious to help evangelize this idea of more people running in prison. Uh, so they want to have us come to North Dakota to screen the film at different facilities. Um, same with New Hampshire. Uh, they want us to also to come to, to screen. Um, uh, there's a prison that we visited, um, that, that we didn't visit, that wants us to come visit in outside of Cleveland. Hmm? And yeah, and Little Rock, I was just contacted through somebody that Markel knows um, that, I guess there's like a, a drug treatment facility that's associated with the uh, Arkansas DOC. And so they're also very interested. So that is, uh, I think, a goal of ours to help evangelize this idea of running and hope that more runners will get involved as well. Uh, and um, not, again, not to say that running is necessarily going to solve our mass incarceration problem, but certainly, as we all know, change happens from the ground up. It happens person by person, individual, on an individual basis. And again, we know running changes everything. So the more people that have access to it and can do it, I think can bring good things. Running is a miracle. I wanna make sure we leave a lot of room for time. So maybe we'll close out this part of the panel with a question for Markel. What message, Markel, maybe too big of a question, but you know, you've probably had a lot of time to think about this. Like what, what message do you most want to convey to the public about people who've been incarcerated from your experience? And what are your goals for the future? That's a two-part question. Well, damn, hold on, answer that again. 
just, you're a free man now, you know? And a lot of people are inspired by your story. And so you have the power to sort of convey, to speak on behalf of a lot of these men, you know? So what would you like the world to know about those men? And and in what way do you want to sort of represent them in the future? I just want to be that ambassador, that living testimony, um, that given a second chance, we can make something happen. And don't be afraid just because we did a crime. We, We are not our life crime. We are not our life crime. We make mistakes. We are imperfect. And that given the opportunity, a second chance, we can prove to the world and to ourselves and to our families, our loved ones, our victims, that we are somebody and we're going to make it right. We're going to be a living amends and do the right things, given the opportunity and the support, we can be better people and we can help other people be better people. Amen. With that, we'd love to open it up to questions from the audience. I think we might have a floating mic. If not, you can shout and I'll repeat it. Any, que- any questions from the audience? Got to be one or two. Uh, yeah, but so. Approximately how many days would you say of shooting did that film require? The thing is, is that I couldn't stop shooting. (laughs) There were, it was just, there were so many amazing things that happened and I just kept on getting access actually. So it is extremely painful for me because there are so many amazing things that were left on the cutting room floor. I mean, what you see here is a, you know, this much of what we actually shot. I mean, we shot 100 days, actually. I have, I have in my computer, we have shot 100 days. So it was a lot. Anything you want to say about the challenge yeah. of navigating the bureaucracy of the prison system and how you were able to do that with a film crew? Because it's not easy, I know. I mean, every day we were there, we were like, this could be our last. (laughs) Uh, So behave (laughs) and make sure that we're not going in places that you're not supposed to go. Um, So yeah, you know, the prisons, the California prison system, they they don't have to give you permission. You know, you're you're not paying them, you're not securing a location, anything like that. So it was all, we always considered it a privilege to be there. And um, over time, I think that we did earn the trust of people there. So it just, that ended up overall making it easier. Yeah. So. Any other questions? Go ahead in the back. You can just shout it out. I'll, I'll repeat it. The question for Markel, after gratitude for being here, is what race is next for you? And, and also, tell people what your marathon PR now is, because it's sick fast. Child International was 248 um, two years ago. So for those counting, 
That's 38 minutes faster than you ran in the movie. And Boston last year was a 252 flat. Yeah, which is a slow course. Yeah. So what's next for you? Well, um, uh, I just looked at my GoFundMe. It's almost there, 3500 To go to Ireland and run the Cork City Marathon, my first challenge of out-of-the-country marathon, hopefully. Where can people find the GoFundMe if they want to push you over the edge there and get you the funding you need? Uh, I guess the, oh, I don't know. I'm still working on how to figure that out. <laughs> okay. I, it's, I think it's like help Markel get to. Oh, yeah, help Markel get to Court City Marathon. Yeah. Good question. Any other questions from the audience? Go ahead. The question for Markel is, there was another beautiful short film made about him uh, that was played at the Trail Running Film Festival. So the question is, gauging your interest in trail running and if you have any goals doing that in the future. I don't really like it. But, <laughs> but um, I guess it's good. I guess they said it's good for your knees, but... Especially that Dipsy every year, you get poked, you get poison oak. I got little ankles and it's like dancing, like, I don't know. It's, I don't like it, but I, you know, I do it uh, just to do some training running, but I don't really care for trail running. Like, I'm trying to get used to it. I'm a road runner and I love the track. I'm, I'm trying to get used to it. <laughs> We're not friends anymore. <laughs> Any other questions from the audience? Maybe we'll do one or two more. Okay, I'll find a closing question here for us. Maybe. I actually did want to say something about like what, what we kind of want to leave people with. Please. Um, you know, there's a saying that you hear all the time behind the walls, which is hurt people hurt people. And I just found this in my own field research to be true. You know, most of the people that are behind bars are there not because they're intrinsically bad people, but because the systems that or circumstances that they grew up in usually ended up leading them there in some way. So, you know, the, the circumstances that usually lead people to success you know, access to education, uh, financial financial support, um, met good mentors. Most of the people in prison do not have those things available to them. Um, even when, you know, me personally, I started looking at people who have committed sexual crimes or even, you know, child molestation, which, you know, God forbid, you know, is just is such a hard thing to wrap your mind around. But then when you start looking into people's backgrounds, a lot of those people who have committed those offenses, they had those things done to them. And so a lot of times it's, it's learned behavior and it's not, it's not fun or, you know, it's difficult to think about, but, you know, this kind of behavior cycles on itself. So 
you know, a lot of people that we find in prison have had these kind of very difficult and traumatic experiences happen to them. So that is really why I do believe that people deserve second chances. They deserve a chance to try to heal. Beautiful, beautiful. Do you want to say something? Thank you, Christine. There's another part to that, though, um, which is the part that I'm doing today and other people who have gotten out doing. is hurt people, hurt people. Healing people, heal people. So the second part of that is the being able to overcome those things, just like training for a marathon, you overcome one hurdle and you get stronger and where you can go that extra mile and so you can complete a marathon. It's just like um, understanding what those things were, the contributing factors, the causative factors, um, what the triggers are, and intergenerational trauma, childhood trauma, triggers, different things like that. What is that? How did that happen? What are you doing to process that? What kind of support network you have? All of these things help you to be the person that can make you a better person, to help you understand that, and being able to talk to somebody, just like in the 12 steps. You have a sponsor, you can write stuff down. So all of these things, whatever avenue, whatever way, whatever angle, it helps for a person to be able to process what they're going through. And I think everybody needs that because if not, even those who hadn't been there would be there, whether it's in the uh, alcohol addiction, drugs, to mask the original pain. Um, let's stop the being able to lash out in that secondary pain, which is hurt people, hurt people. Love it. You want to say something, Diane? Um, yeah, I was just going to share. Um, I received a letter yesterday from somebody who's still at San Quentin who had a parole hearing and is um, probably going to be released soon. Um, but it kind of speaks to the change also in people who have um, been part of the club, part of other programs at San Quentin, and also just the power of running and the reward of being a coach, but um, just, I mean, after a long, lots of thanks and everything else, um, he said, my gratitude exceeds words. However, the perseverance and clear thinking I've gained through the running club are skills I will embrace on the other side of the wall. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, it's amazing uh, what that community and what what running and what the structure of a club and the support that um, they get from both the coaches and each other um, and really the, the value that they see in it as being much more than running that marathon. It really changes their lives. Just beautiful. Christine, before we totally wrap up, if you could just maybe mention how people can learn more about the film and get involved if they want to and we'll sign off. Yes, we are on social media, so I hope that you will follow us on Instagram at SQ Marathon, and on Facebook, we're at 26.2 to Life. Um, in the fall, we will, be release, we will be releasing the film in theaters in the Bay Area, New York, LA, and perhaps Boston. 
Uh, we have been accepted for a PBS broadcast. Um, we are seeking underwriting support for that. Uh, if people here may have contacts for that, please feel free to contact me. Um, and so thank you very much for this opportunity this evening to, to BOA, to Brenna and Shannon, who we've been working on this for several months now. So really appreciate this so much. Just want to echo our gratitude to BOA, Brenna, Shannon, Meg, Brock, team. Thank you all. Big round of applause for our panel here. But Dylan, you haven't said anything about your about your own participation in the festival. Well, I was just going to say thank you all for coming and yeah. staying. I hope these words in the film touched you all and you go home and make a difference in your own life and you're in your own community. Peace out. Yeah. Holy smokes, how great was that? Again, go buy tickets for the live or virtual screenings. There are links in the show notes here. It would mean a lot to me to have Free Trail listeners support this premiere. And I know you would love the film. Again, we went commercial free for the episode, but please also check out our brand partners. We couldn't do any of this stuff without them. Speedland, run speedland.com, use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off. The Orange Drank, HVMN, get 30% off your first subscription of the Ketone IQ by visiting hvmn.com forward slash FREETRAIL. 30 and finally Rourke Apparel, Rourke.com, use code free trail 15 for 15% off their great trail running and lifestyle apparel. Thanks everybody for listening. Hope you guys all enjoyed and were inspired by the episode. Go tackle some great trails this weekend. We'll be back in your feed again very soon. Until then, love you so much. Bye-bye.